Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Awesome topic today. A little different, but please don't be scared off here, logistics guys, because we're going to talk about logistics. It is Hospital in the Home with Ben Fornell. Welcome, Ben. Thanks, Joe. (laughs) Thank you so much for uh, being on my podcast. I'm very excited to talk about this topic because it seems a little off because when, when we were talking initially, I was like, you're very much a logistics guy who got further and further into your niche. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, are you even a logistics guy? Or are you more <laughs> medical now? But I think there's big ramifications, not only for, I mean, unfortunately for all of us, we're mortals and we're going to have to go to the hospital. We're going to have friends and family go to the hospital. And there is a lot of logistics related to this. So, We're going to get to hospital in the home and why logistics is such an important part of that. But first, Ben, please introduce yourself and your company. Awesome. Yeah, thanks so much, Joe, for having me. My name is Ben Fornell. I'm the founder and CEO of Sherpa Health, where we are trying to optimize the logistics of healthcare in the home, hospital in the home, home healthcare. It goes by many names. But prior to my journey into the world of logistics, I grew up in the Twin Cities metro area, Went to college at the University of Iowa, where I studied journalism. Go Hawkeyes. Go Hawkeyes. Are you an uh, Iowa guy, too, Joe? Or? I'm a Wolverine, but oh. I like the Hawkeyes. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a lot of heart. <laughs> yeah. Went to the University of Iowa, studied journalism, worked in the newspaper industry, actually, for about five years. Wrote for the Des Moines Register, the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Got to cover some really cool political events and things in Iowa. I got to meet Barack and Michelle Obama when he was just a senator from Illinois running for president for the first time. And Nice. Yeah, I enjoyed my time in the newspaper business, but always kind of felt that I wanted to become an entrepreneur at, at some point. And frankly, I think that any entrepreneur needs some of the skills of a journalist. You need to be able to network. It's about asking questions and trying to dive deeper into what is the real issue here. I find myself going back to my journalism training a lot, doing sales and, and talking to new clients. So Nice. I had a chance to go to Des Moines for the first time. So I, where is University of Iowa? Is that Davenport? Iowa City. Iowa City. Iowa City. Yeah. So I went to Iowa City a long time ago. I was the godfather for one of my nieces. Oh, cool. I was like, that just felt like, oh my God. When you drive from Michigan to there, this is a long time ago. And it was yeah. kind of just... The internet was around, but you wouldn't route yourself that way. Sure. And I remember just going, oh, it's not that far. It's just kind of past Chicago. Yeah. It's a long, long ride from Michigan. <laughs> and it's a lot of corn there. But the last few years, I went over to Des Moines to see my buddies over at Ruan. And they're downtown Des Moines. And I was like, I've said this before on my podcast. So you're not the first time I said this, Ben. That is a cool city. Yeah. I'm a big fan now, and I probably wasn't in the past, but I'm a big fan of what I'll call mid-sized cities. Yeah. Because they have everything you want, restaurants, shopping, all that. You're not missing anything. Right. And yet you don't have kind of what we have. And I love Chicago, but I don't love Chicago traffic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think they're very livable cities. That's the same Here in Michigan, we have Grand Rapids. Same deal where you're like, I could let you could see yourself living there. And when I was at Ruan, they, they're right downtown and they've got the uh, 30-story building and you look out the windows, you're like, this is a wonderful area. Love it over there. Yeah, I love a good mid-sized city as well. And I got to say that during this crazy 
year of 2020 that we had a number of my friends left Chicago for smaller, you know, as you might say, mid-sized cities. A lot of advantages. Yep, yep. But Des Moines and Detroit, where I live, and uh, Chicago, where you live, they have the same problem, which is winter. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, so I, I guess I was, you know. Oh, yeah, so you don't, you're saying they I was don't hardened. have winter. <laughs> you don't have winter there. Yeah. Well, Ben, this is an interesting topic. So, so you were a journalist. Tell us a little bit about the Sherpa story. I know you didn't immediately come to the business model that you currently have. So tell us a little bit about how you started and how, where you ended up. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Logistics has always been something that's fascinated me. I think of routing as like solving a Sudoku, where it's, it's got to work <laughs> right. out neatly with no remainder. Otherwise, it's you know a little upsetting. And we started in the logistics business kind of right at the very tail end, not the final mile, like the final 10 feet of parcel delivery. We started as a consumer concept, as a lot of startups do in Chicago. We have a problem with package theft. I think a lot of places do where your Amazons will walk off the front porch before you have a chance to get them yourself. And so we set up an office in Lincoln Park at 2727 North Halstead. I still remember the address. People would ship their packages there. They put a special code on it. We would hold them there. We were open all day for receiving hours. You know, FedEx, UPS, et cetera, would drop off there. And then you could either come by and pick them up at your leisure or we would re-deliver them to your home in a one-hour window that you could select via text message. It's pretty slick. Well, thanks. Yeah, people really responded to it. As startups go, I mean, we scaled to over a 1,000 members in the first six months. We launched right before the holidays, so tried to pick our timing there and leverage a, a busy parcel season. Right. And Lincoln Parks in Chicago, like that's all the young people. So they're all getting all the e-commerce stuff. Right. Yeah. We used to have numbers on what you would spend on e-commerce compared to what you paid in rent. And it was like, you could count on people to spend 60 or 65% of what they were paying in rent on e-commerce. <laughs> right. Dozens of little packages, of course. So Yeah. And I was thinking, I have a buddy who used to live over there. So we used to get all the bars there. And I just envisioned when you, when you said they're picking them up, I was like, you reopened late enough so they could go from the bar and just pick them up <laughs> on the way home. <laughs> I believe we were up until six. And then our drivers would hit the road at six to go drop things off. A lot of people would actually ask that the packages be re-delivered to their home. And that's really when we seized upon the idea of a one-hour delivery window that was super reliable, right? Right. So you could book it. Not all the windows were available because they would fill up, right? And so we devised a system that was initially just me kind of looking at Google Maps and responding manually to text messages. But we learned that there would be the ability to develop an AI that could do this automatically, right? Take a look at where you live. Take a look at the routes that have already been planned. Which route can we fit you onto? And okay, these are the time slots we have available just given how many people have already requested and where you live. And so as we're able to scale up, raise a little bit of capital, hire some engineers, we built out an AI that we call Mailman. We (laughs) It's a silly acronym that we came up with the name first and then I guess figured out what the acronym should mean. But it knows how to get to everyone's house on time every day is what we say. But um, (laughs) initially we pivoted from a B2C model to then a B2B model and started working with shippers in the Chicago area that were delivering furniture that has to go over the threshold, wine that's got to be signed for by somebody who's 21 or over, the classic attended delivery problems that so many parcel companies struggle with. And from there, we built up a good little business in Chicago. We were doing almost a million in revenue, which is a lot for a startup. Wasn't the kind of high margin software revenue that certain investors might like to see. Right. But 
That's pretty labor intensive too. Grinding it out, doing deliveries with a gig economy crew and, and all of that. And so we applied for FedEx used to run an accelerator. I don't believe they do anymore. But in 2017, we went down to Memphis, Tennessee and worked with the fine people at FedEx who took our business and, and said, you know, boy, that's cute. <laughs> You guys are out delivering packages in, in cars. We get it. We do something like that. Yeah. <laughs> you might have heard of us. <laughs> but then we got in. I mean, FedEx was amazing to work with. And I still have many close friends and colleagues that still work for Big Purple, as I like to call it. And uh, they took a close look at our technology. They were really generous with their time. And kind of the way they landed on Sherpa was, look, the parcel business is tough. <laughs> it's tough to make money actually delivering things. But the software that you've created is fairly unique. And so, you know, we immediately said, well, if it's that unique, maybe you guys should buy it or license it from us. <laughs> <laughs> they said, sorry, we build our own systems here. And then we went on to kind of the home services market. We talked to Terminex and Service Master. We talked to some large retailers that did heavy over the threshold tractor supply company, Home right. Depot. And finally, one of our generous and patient investors introduced us to a healthcare group in South Florida, a group called Kano Health. They're, I think, the biggest name at this point in kind of this Medicare, Medicaid, primary care business in the South Florida region. They've recently expanded to a couple of other markets. But the problem was presented to us as, hey, we've got, at the time, I think they had 10,000 members or so and uh, 100 vans. And it's an older population who needs to see the doctor more often. And how do we efficiently bring these people into our centers and, uh, you know, kind of, uh, they were running their own fleet. So to me, this really appeared just like a logistics or parcel, you know, delivery problem. And that's when me and my co-founder relocated to South Florida for five months and worked in these clinics and released new updates to the software day by day, became HIPAA compliant. And, you know, at the end of that five-month period, we decided, well, I guess we're going to be a healthcare software company, <laughs> solving the logistics of healthcare. Initially, kind of a, a non-emergency medical transportation application, but we built into their electronic health record system. And that's where the scheduling piece came back in because we could not only put the member on a route, we could also book them an appropriate appointment based on their anticipated arrival time. And so it improved clinical throughput and driver efficiency. Their overtime numbers are way down. Their capacity is up over 30%. Right. So, And you know, it's interesting. I know everybody's business overlaps these days, but if you think of yourself in the medical business, you're like, we manage certain things. They're used to managing facilities. And now all of a sudden, they're managing routing yeah, <laughs> and they're managing logistics. And right. so there would be an industry that can basically zero interest probably in logistics or routing or optimization when it comes to all that stuff. And so, but also, you know, when we hit COVID, you know, every hospital, I know my mom had some medical, she, she was at the hospital. You got to wear a mask when you're at the hospital. She's from the, imagine not feeling well and have to wear a mask. So as soon as they could, they sent her home and, she had to have nurses come visit. She had to have physical therapy people come visit, occupational therapy. Mm -hmm. So when you said to me the term hospital in the home, I was like, yes, and I guess that's a thing now. So I don't envision we'll be doing surgeries right away, but <laughs> if you can be at your house and recover, and we have all these electronic gizmos that can attach to us, and you say, hey, I'm I'm going to be taken care of very nicely, but I'm also going to be at my house with my dog, with my cable channels. 
without the person in the next bed <laughs> snoring and bringing it weird visitors in all hours. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great point, Joe. I think that certainly the pandemic brought us all back into our homes in a permanent way, sometimes a little too permanent. And e-commerce and, and various technologies have flourished that allow us to do more living inside of our homes. So after Kano Health, we started to go down this road of what other logistics problems exist in healthcare. There's the obvious ones of home medical equipment delivery, prescription delivery. I think that DHL and FedEx and the other big boys are probably going to win in those markets at some point. But we thought, how can we continue to optimize the way people receive care? And we trended towards the home healthcare market. And so now we work with several large national payer groups, provider groups, helping them to optimize clinicians that are coming in and out of your home to perform, you know, anything from home dialysis, right? How nice is it to be able to sit, as you say, on your couch with your cable and your dog there? Having your dialysis versus going to some. Think you're, you got to think you're also less stressed out. Yeah, yeah. You know, got anytime somebody's sticking a needle in you, you're like, right. oh, this is not a happy day. Right. But also during COVID, you could get something. But let's face it, you can get something most times if you're sick and you're at risk. You don't really need to go to the hospital and sit in a waiting room. Right. Yeah. No, I think honestly, most doctors would rather send a patient home. As soon as they can, I mean, as soon as they're stable and, and all of that stuff. So, yeah, there's kind of a, a revolution taking place, and even major hospitals like Johns Hopkins are taking part in this hospital at home model. As you pointed out so eloquently, Joe, they're focused on solving many other problems, right? Bringing the hospital experience to the home, many medical considerations, of course. Obviously, they work very closely with payers and how do we get this reimbursed in a similar way that we're getting services reimbursed in a hospital because the codes don't exist. And then logistics is a bit of an afterthought, right? They get people on the road. There's generally enough buffer in the, the margins that they're making that a little inefficiency is tolerable for a while. But when you go to scale this to a true hospital scale, say you want to get to a place where 50% of your patients are going to be admitted in their home, very quickly the logistics becomes top of mind. <laughs> right. And we have had so much waste of, wrong way to say it, our costs are out of whack. And we we talked about this offline. I think this could... I think I could talk about this topic for 50 <laughs> hours because it's so annoying when you go to the doctor or the hospital, I should say, for the day, and then they go, oh, that was $8,000. You're like, what did I do? I was I sat in a lobby for an hour. I went in there for 15 minutes, and then you're like, what happened? But yeah. <laughs> they do have to be efficient. And I know my mom had nurses come visit her. And when they did, they were going all over the Detroit metro area. And you have to be efficient in that routing. If somebody said, hey, you did a good job today, you saw 10 people, and then Ben stops by and says, you could have saw 14. You go, oh, wait a sec. Wait a sec. How much for that software, Ben? (laughs) Right? Very reasonably priced. Right. Especially when you talk about thousands of people out and about doing that. It's just an enormous amount of, well, and also you want to be considerate of people's time, right? You don't want to waste people's time and have them going on the wrong route. Well, yeah, certainly... Windshield time is a major factor in clinician burnout for nurses that are on the road all the time. They routing them efficiently does increase their experience and the longevity with the organization. They, you know, there's less turnover and 
just like receiving a package or a, a cable installation, I guess is the classic example. Ah, we'll be there sometime between eight and five. Even if you are laid up in bed at home, you'd like to know it's between, you know, two and four. Or- no, that's super important because I've been staying with helping my mom out and I want to be there for some of her appointments. So it's important that I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's a big deal. And then you think about more and more of the stuff. So uh, speaking of the hospital and the home, I know all the medical equipment that you can bring to your house now. and as you said, the dialysis and the heart machines. And again, I know we're not going to do procedures, but all the monitoring that we can bring to the house and then the medicines obviously can be delivered. Now all we got to do is deliver all the the folks right. to help us out. <laughs> the people, exactly, yeah. And some of these hospitals, Joe, I mean, when they say hospital in the home, they mean it. And there'll be a doctor who comes and rounds, primary care doctor that'll come and round your house every day. Yeah, and they'll send a specialist by later, depending on what may be the matter with you. A nurse comes by later to perform a bandage change or something like that. Then a phlebotomist comes by and draws your blood. And so all of these skill levels have to be coordinated to the appropriate appointment. The doctor-patient relationship has got to be one-to-one. There's other compliance considerations. Whenever you're talking medicine, the person has to have an infusion every Thursday at 2 p.m., is something that you might see in a home infusions case. And so the system starts by balancing all of those constraints. And we can also take into account, like you say, hey, I want to be there for some of these appointments with my mom. We can put in scheduling preferences, of course, for that member for certain appointments. And then once all of those are met, then we can finally begin the routing and scheduling process. And so as the routes are built, we understand that there is extra capacity, 10% in this route, 20% in another route, and we can slot in new appointments directly onto a route. So no appointment is booked without physically being placed onto a route. And the confidence and achievability scores go way up, right? So we know that we're 97% going to be there in that one-hour window. Right. And you know, this is only going to grow because we talk about I'm at the tail end of the baby boom generation. (laughs) I started to realize I'm not getting any younger. And I keep thinking people are, there's, it's not uncommon now for people to know someone over a hundred years old. Those people, if they're not going to independent or assisted living, they're staying at their home. And I think most would like to stay at their home as long as possible, but that requires somebody stop by. And I'd rather the doctor and the nurses stop by to see old people than them getting in their cars and having to drive over there. (sighs) Yeah, no, that's a great point. Aging in place, I think, is going to become more and more common, especially among your generation. And, you know, it's just why not? (laughs) Longer you can stay in your home, I think most people, that's where they're most relaxed. And Right, right. It makes sense. And again, this is an interesting thing because we're talking about getting the right people, the right things to somewhere at the right time. Mm-hmm. That is logistics. And again, I talked to somebody about, well, Rick, talked to Rick Watson offline the other day. He was on my podcast. We talked about e-commerce and he said to me, Joe, you can't talk about e-commerce without talking about logistics. <laughs> right. They're joined at the hip now. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's, what's interesting is for what you're talking about here, the hospital home there is no hospital in the home without proper logistics. On time in full means something in this business too. Yeah, it does. No, you can't say I delivered some of the dialysis stuff, but uh, we're short a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> well, I thought I thought logistics was a business full of jargon and uh, you know specific terms. Then you go to healthcare, tons of jargon there too. And yeah, we are introducing many of the same concepts, like what you're talking about, to these healthcare providers and saying, look, there is a more efficient way to run this and trying to bring some of those logistical strategies and insights to bear. 
And when we're talking offline about this, I told you I have a doctor and I, I love my doctor. His business model is he stopped taking insurance. He's direct primary care. So I pay him 50 bucks a month. He's like a direct to consumer e-commerce doctor. Right. Right. And so I can go there anytime I want. I go over, they get a flu shot and I can go uh, get a physical once a year. And if I'm sick, but he doesn't have any insurance. So he said, my life is so much easier. So he used to have an office with like eight people. Now he's got two, him and a nurse. And what's interesting about that though, is he doesn't have any real incentive for me to come visit him at the office. So if I call and say, Hey, I think I'm coming down with a cold. He was like, Oh, send a script to your pharmacy. Traditional medicine has always said, no, no, you have to come in here. I have to see you for 15 minutes. Call it 30 minutes. How else can you get paid? Yeah. Right. And so I can get paid. And during COVID, what we learned is telehealth was absolutely required. And I know at the end of this, Ben, that there's going to be a lot of people say, you know, telehealth, especially if you're older and you don't want to drive, telehealth is going to be something that we're not going to let go of easily. The insurance companies, I've heard, struggled with the idea of how do I pay that medical group for a telehealth call? Right. Telehealth is a good example of a revolutionary new way of providing care that actually does now have reimbursability codes and you can code for a telehealth visit now. And so I think it'll only be a matter of time. Again, some really big names in the world of American hospitals are, are working on this. They see it as the future. And so, you know, the payers are, are slowly, I think, adjust. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, they're adjusting. I think they're going to love it too because they don't necessarily want to pay, you know, exorbitant hospital bills either. So I think it's going to lower the cost of care for everyone if we can continue to move in this direction. Right. And it's just a matter of call. You're having that call with your doctor on a Zoom call. And I imagine it won't be long before there'll be real-time diagnostics where you say, hey, look, just hook yourself up, lift up your shirt. It hurts here, doc. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of those tools are, are getting cheaper and cheaper by the day like any technology does. So yeah, telehealth is here to stay. And then I think there is inherently a limit to the telehealth. You can't draw blood over a Zoom call. (laughs) Right, right. Getting back to Sherpa, what you guys do is you help these people with route optimization and appointment scheduling. And they have to be in that tight, tight time window. And they have to be cost effective. They have to get to the place on time. I think I'm noticing that with my mom when she had nurses visiting. You start to plan your day around it because yeah. like, I'm going to go to the grocery store and then I'm going to come back and the nurses better be here. And they're pretty tight and they also get used to calling, but much better to have some sort of uh, scheduling software that puts you in tight. Yeah. And there are other scheduling solutions, of course. What I think is unique about Sherpa is the just fact worse, that... Just worse than Sherpa, though, what you said. <laughs> well, they don't have the same geographical insights, right? So that's really what makes us special is we're a SaaS platform. We can integrate with your electronic health record system or clinical management platform, take in data, push back out reporting. But then people who are managing the scheduling and the routing, they're working within our system. And it's a little like helping someone book a flight. Right. So imagine you're a travel agent and you're, you know, on the phone with a member who needs to schedule an appointment and you say, well, this is the most efficient appointment that we could schedule, the least costly to our overall capacity. Right. So we suggest that one first. No, that won't work. Okay. Friday at one won't work. How about Monday at 2 p.m., et cetera? And you're getting a one hour window. The reliability and the achievability of that window is extremely high. 97%. We're going to be there in that one hour window. And then, you know, from there, it's just a matter of trying to nudge them into a a window that's going to drive the maximum efficiency. Well, that's awesome. So, Ben, 
please summarize this topic for us. I know it's a big one. And sure. again, <laughs> hospital in the home and uh, getting all the logistics right on that hospital in the home. Yeah, thanks, Joe. I mean, to summarize, I'd say that especially with an aging population and seeing the impact that COVID has had in the home life, people want to increasingly see their healthcare providers in their home. In order to power the most efficient experience, there's many elements that need to be coordinated from doctors arriving on time, nurses coming by to do follow-ups, heck, even sometimes the delivery of a piece of equipment or a infusion that needs to be performed. And so what our system does is it seamlessly balances all of those various stakeholders, including the patient, who is the most important, of course. So trying to drive agency and choice and when those services happen while also creating you know, efficiencies in the neighborhood of roughly 30% for many of our clients. Nice, nice, nice. So before we wrap this up, Tell us a little bit about how we can reach out to Sherpa. I will put your website and the link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. But Appreciate that. Tell us again who you serve and how we can reach out to you. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much, Joe. Again, I'm Ben Fornell, founder and CEO at Sherpa. Our web is www.sherpa.com. Uh, we're also at sherpahealth.com. Sherpa with a U, not an E. That's right. Yes, yeah, Sherpa with a U. Like any startup, we got to slightly misspell it, I guess. <laughs> You can find me on LinkedIn, of course. I think Joel will put that in the, the show notes. And we work with large hospital groups, provider groups, and payers to drive efficiency in the home healthcare process. Man, it's been quite the education. I love this idea <laughs> of the hospital home. It's really, it's a, we've struggled so much with the cost of healthcare. And during COVID, our health became a daily conversation all of a sudden. And this seems like one of those long overdue innovations that we need to have, the hospital in the home and then the logistics to support it. So, yeah. Well, Joe, I thank you for having me on a logistics podcast. I'm going to be old before you know it, Ben. So I'm very interested in all these <laughs> solutions. <laughs> well, we'll stay in touch. I right. appreciate you having me on. Yep. Thank you very much, Ben. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. <laughs>